This is Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab, your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 154, Stepping Up Your Communication Skills with Live Streaming, with our guest, Marcus Seppala. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, your communication leadership and learning lab. This is your host, Greg Gazin. We have another special guest today. Marcus Seppala is a speaker, event host, and stand-up comedian who brings fun to the corporate stage. He's a two-time TEDx speaker. Marcus draws on his 13 years in executive compensation strategy, as well as his insights from the comedy stage to engage diverse audiences with humor and enthusiasm. When he's not doing all of that, you can catch Marcus on YouTube where you'll find a plethora of videos and tutorials and an array of different things showcasing his talents and teachings, topics like Zoom streaming, hybrid meetings, video conferencing, you name it, he's there. And he's always showcasing ways that you can become a better communicator and a better speaker. Marcus is based in Basel, Switzerland, where he runs Comedy Basel, the biggest comedy club in town. Marcus Seppala, welcome to Toastcaster. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, thanks a lot. We spoke with you, Ryan and I spoke with you in May on the Toastmasters podcast. That's episode 180. Certainly include that in the show notes. The episode was entitled Comedian Masters Hybrid Meetings. Now, Marcus, I appreciate ad nauseum, and I mean that in a loving way, all of the content that you provide and not just being better on Zoom, but also transporting that in ways that we can become better communicators and better presenters in the streaming environment, because this seems to be the way the world is going. So I do appreciate that. And with all of these tools that we have, I'm thinking, okay, we can become a better communicator overall. We can become a better communicator using some of these tools, but we can also become a better communicator by learning from some of these tools. So I'm assuming that this is what we're going to talk a little bit about today. So before we begin, perhaps for the benefit of our audience, define streaming and perhaps the context that you like to use it in? Absolutely. Live streaming is um, a mode of communication, which I think has a lot of uh, benefits, but uh, there's different understanding of what streaming means. A lot of people might think of services like Netflix and uh, Spotify when they hear streaming. And it is streaming in the sense that the data is not being fed from your hard drive, but rather from the cloud somewhere. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about when I, when I talk about live streaming. When I talk about live streaming is creating the content live and broadcasting it online. And to places like Twitch, to YouTube, to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these different streaming services that, that are there. So in brief, for me, it is live content creation. Does this include Zoom by any chance? It could, but I think an important part of, of live streaming is that it's public. So the way I see most Zoom meetings is that they are not public, they're usually private. Though you can use Zoom to live stream onto YouTube and to Facebook, you shouldn't because you have no control of the quality, but most Zoom meetings are, are not public and therefore it's not live streaming in, in, in the way I think about it primarily. 
Okay, so hopefully touch upon a little bit of both because I was just thinking in the back of my mind is that sometimes when there's a special event, people will be attending, perhaps you've been hired by someone to present. Quite often those sessions are recorded and then made available for public afterwards. But what you're saying is you want, we're going to talk primarily about creating that content so that you'll present it live in a live stream, but then chances are you're going to be replaying it back at a later time. So it sounds like there's two different audiences here and two different, four audiences, I guess. There could definitely be multiple ones, but there is one important note that I make regarding recorded Zoom meetings. Nobody wants to watch a recorded Zoom meeting because most <laughs> recorded Zoom meetings are garbage. And the reason for that is A, that you have no control over the quality, neither audio nor video, but B, and maybe most importantly, is that it has not been recorded with the view of becoming a recording. It has been recorded as a live meeting. And if you don't have any forethought, if you don't plan it for the recording, then it's not going to be a pleasant recording. And because most Zoom meetings are kind of discussions that are happening in the moment, they are, in my mind, best consumed live, unless the person really knows what they're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I know for myself, of course, with Toastmasters and podcasting and all the other things I'm doing, I'm finding myself doing a lot more Zoom, which we are recording. It's really taken me a while to get used to the fact that while you can see people in their little windows, you can see sort of their reaction, you're not getting the feedback the same as if you would with a live audience. And I'm getting a little better at it, but I'm finding that I'm still struggling. It's a challenge uh, for sure. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the favorite methods that you use for streaming, some of the techniques that you use. Just, just get us started with this. Absolutely. The first and most important uh, part of creating a great live stream in the way that I do it is to actually plan it. Let's say if, if we talk about Facebook and YouTube and Twitch streaming, there, there's kind of two genres of content or two formats of content. One is you just sit down, play a game for three hours, engage with the audience, just the kind of Twitch streaming. That's not what I usually do. I usually do the second kind where the live stream is planned for, let's say, 20 minutes or 45 minutes or an hour. And there is an agenda. There are some goals to be achieved. There are some visual aids to be used. So I think if you want to create that kind of live stream, you need to plan it ahead of time a little bit. There is another component of live streaming, which is answering questions from the public. And it's a good idea to leave room for that. The planned content, in my opinion, is the most important because that is the part that is going to be valuable as a replay later on. Uh, so I, I would say that planning your content is, is key if you want to create a product that has a replay value. For example, on my YouTube channel, the vast majority of the, of the views of my live streams come after the live stream has actually ended. Planning your live stream, that's, a, that's an important part, of, uh, at least of the way that I do it. Okay. For the benefit of the audience out there, perhaps there might be some individuals who may not be familiar with Twitch. Twitch is, in some regards, the archetypal live streaming platform. If you go to twitch.tv, you can basically find live streams on any topic that you could imagine. However, the focus is on computer gaming. So most channels are going to be somebody playing a computer game live. And if you do it well enough, Either you're good at the game or you're super entertaining. People are going to watch. But there's so much other content on Twitch as well. So the focus on Twitch really is on the live streaming experience almost uh, exclusively. Whereas on YouTube, 
You can have live streams on YouTube, but, but the focus there is on pre-recorded video. There's a time and space for, for all of these different platforms, for sure. But Twitch is, if, if you say that you're a pro streamer, people will assume that you're doing it on Twitch. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like a lot of the planning that you do, for example, would be for YouTube videos. You will have a live stream where you'll have live attendees, but then also you're going to have a replay, which is going to live on YouTube for a long time. How do you balance in terms of your planning and in terms of your delivery with respect to engagement, whether you're going to be appealing to the individuals who are watching the live stream or those who are doing those who are watching the replay? In my live streams, I usually do it by kind of splitting it up into two big blocks. So if it is a 45-minute live stream, typically I might have 20 minutes of presentation. For example, if I'm doing a live stream about hybrid meetings, I might share five tips on how to create inclusive hybrid meetings or how to improve your audio. And that, that's the first 20 minutes. Then towards the end of that block, I'm going to prepare that video to be turned into a recording. So I might say something like, we're going to move over to questions and answers in a little bit. If you want to watch that video that I mentioned about how to avoid echo in hybrid meetings, then click or tap the screen right here. And then I move over to Q&A. And if there are no questions, then that is going to be the end of the live stream. If there are questions, then we do the Q&A. But by creating that little break there, I give myself an opportunity to end the video there in, in a good way. And the reason why I recommend another video is because it's good to do that on YouTube for engagement. So during that first 20 minutes, there is no interaction with the audience from my side. And then I go into the questions and answers. And I, I, sometimes I also allow people to join me in the studio and join me uh, live on video uh, to answer their questions. Uh, there are obviously other ways of doing it as well. There are plenty of live streamers who just go live uh, every week, for example, and then they only answer questions. So they don't have any presentation prepared at all. They just sit there and answer questions for three hours. And I usually watch such a live stream every Saturday about YouTube tips. That channel is uh, Nick Nimmin. He's a YouTube educator and he is a master of live streaming. And uh, you can learn a lot from him. Uh, so I kind of, the balance, I, I try to find the balance by doing a presentation without any interaction and then do a Q&A session afterwards. But there is one exception to that. I often do ask the audience during the prepared remarks to do something. I often ask them to like the video. I ask them to subscribe to the channel or I ask them a question that I can then comment on later on. And that's, that's a strategy that works pretty well. It makes the video quite flexible and then I can edit it in different places as well. Yeah. Being someone who's used to live presenting and then, of course, getting now getting into Zoom, you're not used to that. It's a little bit of a different mindset, but it does make sense because I know for myself quite often I might watch a Zoom meeting. But again, sometimes you're distracted. Sometimes you miss something. You want to go back for the for the replay. And if you're watching it on YouTube and you're, you're creating it with the thought in mind that there will be people listening to it or watching it on the replay, adding some of those extra elements, asking them to go here, asking them to go there. I think make really make a lot of sense. I'm thinking about when you're talking about engagement in terms of feedback. I know I did a session a couple of weeks ago where I had asked individuals if they had any questions to throw them in the chat and I got nothing. 
<laughs> and it was funny because at first I'm thinking, you know, how do I handle that? And then, of course, I always have one or two questions ready just in case that here's, here's some typical questions I get asked. How do you handle that with respect to a live streaming situation? My super simple technique is to end the live stream if there are no questions. And that's why I do the kind of ending bumper to watch another video, click here, because then I can just say, okay, it seems like there were no questions this time, so we're going to end it there. I don't get stressed over it. And I think that's one of the uh, key learnings of doing a good live stream is that you should be able to deliver your content without the need of engagement back. You should not make yourself dependent on getting that, um, that engagement. And this could take several different forms. You could, for example, have zero viewers. If nobody's watching your live stream, is it still worth doing? I think the answer is yes, because it's going to live there on the channel for the replay. Uh, and if nobody asks any questions, you should be able to deliver the content regardless. It's something that can feel super stressful, but if your focus is on creating this piece of content for the replay, you can ignore all of those uh, potential concerns. Okay. So although you're not getting maybe real live feedback or there's not, you're not necessarily able to en acknowledge engagement from them, you do need to find a way of engaging them to keep them interested. So what are the, some of the methods, what are some of the tips and techniques that you could offer with respect to making sure that you know that your audience stays engaged because you really want them to watch the video to the end. <laughs> this is true and this is the goal. However, YouTube in particular has so much data that are going to give you so many insights if you look at it. And one of the most important insights is the audience retention graph. It's just a graph that shows the entire video, whether that video is two minutes or, or 20 minutes or, or two hours. It shows you second by second how many people are still watching. And it is a fact of life that after 30 seconds into the video, most likely half of the people have already left the video. Wow. This is, this is a brutal thing to realize, especially if you compare that to a in-person presentation. Can you imagine that 30 seconds into your presentation, half the <laughs> room just picks up and leaves? <laughs> but but this, is, this is how it works. So yes, you do want everybody to watch until the end, but most of them are not. If you can get 50% of the people to watch until the end, then you're doing incredibly well. So I think that the goal is not that every individual uh, will watch to the end, I think the goal of creating content is to give some value. If I have five tips to share in my live stream, I put the most powerful tip in the beginning so that if you only watch the first one-fifth of the video, you will still walk away with some value. That, that's kind of the goal because it's all about giving them a great audience experience regardless of how much of the video they actually watch. The second kind of thought in that vein is that even if nobody's actually chatting and during the live stream, they can still leave a comment on the recorded video. So that's a second opportunity to engage the audience and get them to do things also, uh, things like uh, click links in the, in the description or hit the like button or subscribe or things like that. Again, so that's an interesting method that you could use. So you're not asking them specifically to engage with feedback directly to you, but other types of engagement by clicking or liking, going to a different place. That also changes things up a little bit because this way it it breaks a little bit of the monotony, right? After so much time, you need to shift things a little bit, right? 
Absolutely. You need a little bit of variety. And you also need to understand that people who watch the video, big chunk of them are not watching. They're just listening. And this is the way I consume a lot of live streams in particular. The app for Twitch, for example, is a great example. You can set it to audio only mode. And I always have mine on audio only. All these streamers, they spend so much time making the scenes look beautiful with cool graphics and all of that. But so many people are never going to see them. They're only going to listen. So that's why I try to make the content accessible if you're only listening to it. There are certainly many, many things to consider when you're doing a live stream. And I think this is an important uh, lesson. And it also relates to our obsession with slides in corporate presentations. Most people are not gonna, never going to see them. So don't put all your focus on, on the visuals. Put a lot more focus on the spoken word, I think. Are there any other methods or any other tips that you can offer with respect to keeping your audience engaged? I guess you call it the invisible audience, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So things like asking them to, to hit the like button or subscribe, you might think that those would lead to dips in audience retention, but it, at least my data shows that it often actually gives us a spike in audience retention because people are kind of doing something. So asking them every five minutes, every 10 minutes to do an action like that is a good way to do it. Asking them to comment is another thing to do as well. But another way to answer that is to ask them to click a link in the description to go and do something. So for example, on most of my videos, there is a link to my free video conferencing checklist. It's a simple three-page PDF that people can download to improve the video conferencing. And that's a form of engagement as well. The other technique that comes to mind is something that they call open loops. And that is that you tease a topic that's coming up later on in the live stream, but you're not going to talk about it now. You're going to talk about it later on. That's a good way to keep people watching the live stream. One technique that you will often see me use, I will say something like, Okay, I'm going to share these uh, five tips on how you can use stand-up comedy to improve your public speaking and stick around to the end because I'm also going to share a bonus tip on how this applies to virtual meetings, for example. <laughs> so that kind of bonus tip is a way to encourage people to watch until the end. Sounds like the six o'clock news. They open up with, you're going to learn about this or we're going to talk about this and they show it at five to seven just before the end of the show. <laughs> Absolutely, because it works. Yeah. Well, Marcus, you have this great video on YouTube. It's about 30 minutes long, and it's it talks about a lot about what we were talking here today, plus more communicating communication skills from live streaming. And of course, we'll definitely put a link to it in the show notes. And one section that you talk about was leveraging different skill sets. So you could share a little bit about how that relates to the live streaming. I think live streaming is a great combination of different skill sets. So if you do like doing other types of public speaking or communication, you can bring those into, into live streaming as well. Live streaming may be a little bit more challenging uh, in some aspects, but you can get a lot out of it as well. If we look at public speaking, like classical public speaking, when you're doing it in a room, live streaming is a little bit like that, except you don't have an audience there in the room. And usually there's no recording. Typically, a live stream is recorded as well. And live streaming is also a little bit like video conferencing because you're using the same tools. You are using your, your camera and your microphone, all these tools, and live streaming software is pretty similar to Zoom and these other things. But the difference is that a typical Zoom meeting is not public, whereas a live stream is. I also compare it to doing stand-up comedy. 
it's live performance. You're trying to get people to engage, but you don't get this immediate feedback that you get in the comedy club. You don't right. hear the applause or the booze or, or somebody fainting that you have to take care of, all these fun things that happen at the comedy club. Uh, but you can still learn. You can still bring things from the comedy club in terms of uh, how to deliver your, your message in an entertaining way. You can bring that to the live stream. The other comparison that I make is making YouTube videos, another communication skill. And I mean here specifically uh, prepared YouTube videos, pre-recorded. The difference is here that uh, you are, of course, going to use some of the same equipment, but you can't do any retakes. It's live, right? And I also compare it a little bit to another aspect of a communication, which is producing shows, whether that's Toastmasters meetings or comedy shows, because you have to deal with a lot of technology. You have to make sure that, that all the tech is working and that it's also working with the platform that you're streaming to, which is similar to producing a show. But here, you're also performing, which adds that extra layer. So you're both the producer and the, and the performer. If you are comfortable in many other communication disciplines, you can bring aspects to it, to live streaming, and definitely benefit from that. But if you want to take a more sarcastic view on it i would say that <laughs> streaming live streaming is it's live it's public it's lonely and it's dependent on tech which makes it such a big challenge uh, at the outset i recommend anybody to give it a go you can learn a lot by live stream as you were speaking the image i had in my head was a juggler at first i thought i was thinking the word multitasking but then i was thinking the word juggler now a lot of presenters especially those who are newer they're probably thinking okay well i need to get this content out i need to engage the audience i need to make sure that i appease the planner if that's what the situation is and i'm thinking okay now you're worrying about your camera you're worrying about your mic i mean how do you balance all this technology <laughs> and still remain connected to your audience and make sure that you you get across the content that you want to get across <laughs> i have two answers to that one is the simple answer is that you don't you prioritize and the thing you prioritize is the content if you are providing value if you're providing helpful hints insights you're providing entertainment whatever the value is whatever the goal that you're trying to deliver so long as that is valuable and people can at least understand what you're saying, then that's more important than everything else. So content over everything is the, the, the first answer to that question. The second answer to that question is that at the last comedy show that I produced, we actually did have a juggler performing. And uh, I had never really met a professional juggler before that, and we had, we had a couple of uh, good chats about the, the, the juggling world. He said something about risk-taking that really stuck with me. Because he was saying that on the stage, of course, you want to make a, a, as good an, an impression as you, as you can. But at the juggling conventions, that's where you take all the risk and you try these insane new things that are absolutely never going to work, but then they will. And you have this super, super supportive community of other jugglers who just they're going to cheer you if you drop your, your gear, for example. And in many ways, live streaming is like that. People do want to see you succeed which is actually kind of similar to Toastmasters as well. People do want to see you succeed. They want you to be successful and, and deliver the content. So if you have a technical problem, it will be stressful for you, but the audience is not going to care. And if you're, if you're back up after one minute or five minutes or one day, people are going to be super forgiving and, and super, uh, super relaxed about it. And that's interesting because quite often when you're on the live stage, you might listen to a speaker whose content is phenomenal, but yet 
their delivery method is in such a way that you just really want to tune out. So it sounds to me, what you're saying is that it doesn't have to be perfect. The audience is a bit more forgiving in this particular environment. Well, it's not going to be perfect. You can, you can assume that something will go wrong. Just deal with it. And because it's live and because it's tech dependent, uh, there are so many more things that, that are going to be wrong. But the people who showed up to hear your tips, your advice, they are definitely going to tolerate a lot of imperfections. And you can also see that in the data. So the people who watch live, they typically watch the whole live stream. But then the people who watch it on the replay, they might only watch five minutes out of a 45-minute workshop. That's to be expected. I know for myself, I find myself generally forgiving. I mean, sometimes the video isn't that great, but at least if the audio comes across, I can actually listen. The only time I, I guess it sort of bugs me, is one of the things I still do. I don't. I, I watch very little broadcast television, but I do occasionally like to watch either the six o'clock news or the news in the morning, just while I'm sitting having a cup of coffee. And what I find is sometimes they will bring in regular commentators and the audio is just awful. You know, they're using the wireless earbuds or they're using Bluetooth and the audio is hollow and you go, these people are professional. They're doing it for a living. They're getting paid for this. Like, why can't they just take the time to get it right? (laughs) I get bothered by that. I agree. And if you're going to start doing live streaming, the first thing you should think about is audio. You can get for 15 or $20, you can get a, a cheap lavalier mic that is going to be miles better than any built-in microphone that you might have in your laptop or your phone. And that's a great place to start. So long as your audio is good, people are going to be very forgiving. That sounds good. So if people want to take their presentations to the next level, maybe they want to get into live streaming or they want to eliminate the PowerPoint slides as we know them, what are some of the things that they can do? I was about to say that first you have to have something to say, but I'm actually not going to say that because I do encourage, if you, if you are interested in live streaming, just get started. If you have a YouTube channel, you can live stream to that YouTube channel with the built-in tools on, on YouTube.com. You can also use external tools to do it. Uh, if you have more than 1,000 subscribers, you can do it from your phone. You can live stream on Facebook, on Instagram, and all these other things. If you just want to get started, just get started. It doesn't have to be deep. It doesn't have to be uh, meaningful. So that would, that would definitely be my, my first tip. But also, once you got a hang on the technology, I would say have a goal with your live stream that if you're playing computer games, we're going to complete this level. We're going to beat this boss. If it's more of a training type thing, I'm going to share these three tips. I'm going to demonstrate how to build something in this software. Have a a clear goal because when you have a clear goal with your live stream, you will also then more easily market it because you do want people to join in live. If you have scheduled it, let's say a week in advance, and it has a clear title, a thumbnail that indicates what it's about, if we're talking YouTube specifically, then people will will join up just just because there's something interesting there. Just get started is my main recommendation. You're going to enjoy it. Then you're going to learn so much. Are there one or two specific tools you can recommend people get started with? The easy access is to just do it from your phone. So if if you're doing it on Instagram, for example, you can just click go live. You can do the same on Facebook. The tools that I use are, I use two, two tools in principle. OBS Studio is one of them. OBS Studio is a live streaming software. And the traditional way of using it is that you create these scenes 
you can do, do it with just one scene, but that scene might, for example, have a camera, maybe some overlay, some text or graphics, either in front of you or behind you. And then you put in the data that YouTube gives you or Facebook or whichever, or LinkedIn, whichever platform you're using. You put in your stream key in there. And once you press start streaming, you will go live. OBS Studio can be intimidating. It's not a user-friendly piece of software. It is extremely powerful. I use it for everything, but it's, it's easy to, it is easy to, easy to learn, but it is also a little bit intimidating. So OBS Studio is the classic way to, to live stream. That's what most live streamers use or a version of it. However, these days, especially in the last couple of years, web-based live streaming studios have also made a big um, impact. So the biggest ones are, are things like StreamYard and Restream. And then the one that I use is called Melon. And what, what Melon is, it's uh, you just go to a web page and you can build your scene on that web page. You can click and add your camera with one click. You can add a logo with one click. You can add banners and you, you can play video clips within that thing once your live stream is, is live. And then you can also very easily add guests. And by the way, if we're talking about engaging the audience, adding guests can be a very powerful way to do it. So these web-based live streaming services like StreamYard, Restream, and, and Melon that I use, they are super beginner-friendly because all you have to do is go to the website, add your camera, click go live, and you're done. And, and the way Melon markets it, you can go live with five clicks. Those web-based live streaming studios are a great place to start if you just want to get online. Then if you want the more complicated answer, I actually use both. So I use OBS Studio to create the scenes and so I can easily switch between my slides and not slides. And then I use the virtual camera in OBS and stream that to Melon. Then I use Melon to stream the whole package to YouTube, Facebook, and to Twitch at the same time. And the reason why I use Melon for that is because it makes it easy to stream to multiple destinations, and it also makes it easy uh, to share my screen and to invite guests. So I'm kind of combining the best of both worlds there. But don't make it too complicated. <laughs> that would be another important uh, recommendation. Okay, folks. Well, that was the technical portion of our presentation, of our recording here today. I was just thinking having a tool like OBS or one of these other tools so that let's say for a lot of us who are still using Zoom, just to be able to get rid of the let's share my screen and show the PowerPoint and replace that with, well, let's have the slides, but perhaps have my face somewhere on the screen, perhaps even a little titling on the bottom. I think that would be a really, really, really good start to sort of, to sort of change things up just a little bit. Absolutely. Like I mentioned, I use OBS Studio for everything. So I use it for live streaming. I use it for creating videos, like pre-recorded videos, but I also use it for Zoom video conferencing. So when I'm on a Zoom call, I run all of that through OBS Studio, both audio and video, and that allows me to share slides in a much more captivating way, specifically that I have half the screen is my video and the other half is the slide. And that's something you can only do with, with tools like this. I love seeing that in your videos. And in fact, uh, we will put in the show notes a couple of, a few links to some of your videos. Actually, we'll just put a link to your main site so that people, people can certainly find you. I am kind of curious as a Toastmaster and as a person who's always trying to improve my communication skills, 
What are some of the things that you personally feel that you've improved upon by using all of these tools, by doing live streaming, by doing YouTube videos, by all these other types of things? What are some of the things that you feel that you've improved personally? Hmm. I, I like that question because it's something that uh, I have thought about a lot. But the most important answer to that question is that I've learned to get straight to the point. As I mentioned before, the drop-off in a YouTube video within the first 30 seconds can be 50%. After half a minute, 50% are no, no longer watching the video. That means that you have to hook them in the first five seconds, essentially. And uh, one way to do it is to make it super clear what the topic of the video is. In this video, we're going to share five tips that will help you improve the audio in your hybrid meetings. Okay, a clear promise. Or you could even start with the first tip. You could say, tip number one for improving your hybrid meeting audio is to eliminate audio feedback. Here's how you do it. Disconnect the audio on the phone. And then you complete the first tip and then you do the introduction. In this video, we're going to share four more tips on this topic. So that is, an, is a way of communication that I find very valuable, where you give the audience an immediate answer to the question, what are we talking about today? Or what value am I going to get out of participating in this piece of content? And that is different than what I've done in the past. For example, previously I might have greeted the audience. No need to do that. Previously I might have opened with a question. Who here has ever been to Nepal? Terrible way to open a presentation, but so many people do it. By the way, the reason why it's a terrible way to open a presentation is what if nobody answers? Plus, you're not instructing them on how they should actually answer. I've gotten rid of uh, a lot of the nonsense at the beginning of the presentation. The other thing I've learned from, from live streaming and, and doing YouTube videos is that I always try to have a clear call to action. And I've kind of understood lately, lately that if your speech does not have a call to action, why are you even doing the speech? Like, if you don't want anybody to do anything, why even talk to them? So on YouTube, this becomes quite clear because you do want to either send them to the next video that they should watch, which is good for the YouTube recommendation systems because, okay, this person is keeping people on the, on the platform for longer. Or you want to send them to your email signup or you want to send them to your course page. So to always have a call to action and to have that call to action kind of top of mind already in the planning phase, that I think is really powerful as well. Excellent. So getting to the point, having a call to action. I did notice that in your videos that right off the bat, you just get right into it as opposed to advertorial up front or in this episode, we'll be talking about you just get right into it. Correct. And people don't care about things like episodes, like especially if this is episode 47 in your series. That has no value to the viewer of episode 47. What people watching episode 47 want to learn is how do you introduce a speaker or whatever the topic has to be in, in that topic. That's, that's what, what the focus should be about. So oftentimes there's even no reason to put an episode number in your videos. You care about that. The audience does not. Thank you very much for that, Marcus. It seems that not only can we learn how to improve our communication through live streaming, but we can learn how to improve our regular presentations as well, because sometimes we find that we're working so hard on the content, we sometimes don't get to the point, and then occasionally we do forget to have a call to action. Speaking of a call to action, uh, if you could share with the audience how people can get a hold of you, find you, and get access to all the wonderful content that you provide. 
the very easiest way to do it is just to Google Marcus Presents, Marcus with a K. I do have a website, marcuspresents.com. But if you just Google Marcus Presents, you will find my YouTube uh, channel, which is really the best place to start because I share communication tips in, a var- in, in various different modes. And there's playlists on there relating to specific topics as well. So there's a playlist about improving your video conferencing. There's a playlist about how to do hybrid meetings. There's even a playlist about what speakers can learn from comedians. Just Google Marcus Presents, you will find it. Thank you very much, Marcus. Marcus Sapala, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies. A new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.